And you're listening to The Thirst, a podcast that looks at the latest in pop culture, as well as dissecting some very important topics of our choosing. It's July 2022 and we're here with a new two-part format. Each month we'll bring you an episode called Under Review, where we talk about some recent releases in film, TV and music, followed by another episode later in the month called Obsession of the Week. This is where we'll take a deep dive into everything from the Met Gala and director retrospectives to top 10 lists. You know, the important stuff. This episode, we're doing a recap of some of our favourite films, TV and music of 2022 so far. And we're going to start with films. Uh, I'm also going to precursor this by saying it's been really interesting to do this because I've realised I actually haven't enjoyed that much film or TV from 2022 this year. Yeah, it's funny because... I suggested that we do a little mid-year retrospective because I find them very enjoyable and I also felt it was a good opportunity for us to share things that we've not mentioned on the podcast because of our little break. Um, And then we had a discussion about how actually when we put together our lists it was interesting to be confronted with how there were things that I felt like and I'm sure we'll discuss that we really really enjoyed and then there was stuff that's just like it's fine but yeah I did a lot of like looking through letterboxd and going I don't think I've given anything five stars actually there was like four things I'd given like four stars Mm -hmm. then everything else was like three and a half or three stars that I kind of like I enjoyed so I was like like, four things that are great yeah everything else is good yes yeah I feel very much the same there's definitely like as we'll come on to there are are sort of things I have felt very passionately pro Mm -hmm. and then there's been a lot of like yeah three star fine it's fine yeah I'm not just imagining that we'd usually I'm sure we'd usually have a bit more by mid-year I would would I feel like we would normally get to like June July and actually I would be really struggling to sort of think about how at the end of the year it was going to be really hard to whittle everything down but I don't think it will be this year no I think it's it's yeah, interesting. interesting year. Well, let's let's talk about films first. So if you start us off, what are some of your firm favourite films that have come out in 2022 so far this year? Um, I've just realised that I think, and I think this is because I went through Letterboxd to look at like what my reviews were. I've unintentionally done this in chronology of when they were released. Oh, well done. Um, which absolutely was not intentional. But You're just very organised. Well. So firstly, um, I've got The Souvenir Part 2, mm. which is the second part of Joanna Hogg's semi-autobiographical drama about her time in film school, starring Honor Swinton Byrne, Tilda Swinton, Richard Ayoade and some more. It premiered at Cannes 2021, but it finally had a release in the UK in February of this year. I just think it's perfect. <laughs> like, it's even better than the first part. It's a really interesting look at love and loss and grief and how all of these things can affect and influence art and the art that we create. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed The Souvenir, the first I, part. Yeah, I, we watched that together and I really enjoyed that as well. And I can remember being like, wow, there's a souvenir part two. Yeah. And not really knowing what to make of that. And I didn't get to see it with you because you saw it on New Year's uh-huh. Day, didn't you? So yeah. I haven't seen this yet. Um, but it's really interesting to me that you think it's better than even the first one. Yeah, it is interesting because I 
I, I enjoyed the souvenir when it came out and then yeah, it was good. It was good. It was good. And then I, I did rewatch it ahead of seeing the second part. It, it, to me, it's not necessarily a film that you sort of would rewatch over and no. over again, but I did sit with it again and I took a lot away from it the second time around, perhaps more than I did the first. So mm. I was really interested to see what a second part would do. And I don't know. I, I mean, obviously the two of them work so well as a, a one-two punch Mm -hmm. particularly from a just sort of an emotion point of view and then um i think honor swinton burn i think her performance in this second part is is even better than i thought she was in part one Mm. but yeah it just does lots of interesting stuff and it plays around with sort of the conventions of film and because obviously you've got julie herself is a filmmaker and you've got the production of her film within the film um it has that kind of I don't know, there's a lot of lines blurred mm-hmm. in like a really interesting way. Um, and I just, I don't know, I, I had sort of high hopes for it, but I didn't anticipate being as blown away by it as I was. And yeah. it really is, bearing in mind I saw it in January, it really has lingered with me in the first six months of this year. Mm. And as sort of, I don't know, sequels go. And most sequels do not better their, no. their predecessor. So that's yeah. that's a very good indication. Yeah, I don't know. I just, it really, really blew me away, really. Um, it's definitely worth seeing if you get the chance. I also, on New Year's Day, saw Licorice Pizza. Yes, and I did join you for Licorice Pizza. You did join Pizza. me for that, yes. Yeah, so I, I, saw, um, I saw the souvenir part two in the morning. Um, and then I saw you afterwards. And nice saw... way to start the year. Yeah, it was great for me, really. Uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the best parts of the year. Absolutely. So the, uh, Licorice Pizza is eighth feature from writer and director and king of my heart, Paul Thomas Anderson. Stars Alana Haim, Cooper Hoffman and an ensemble cast including Tom Waits, Bradley Cooper and Benny Safdie. Did you purposefully leave out Sean Penn? I just didn't feel the need to mention him. I thought I'd leave with Tom Waits. It's the coolest part. I think that's, yeah, that was a good ranking. (laughs) Um, It's the story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine growing up, running around and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in San Fernandino Valley in 1973. This for us counts as a 2022 film because it came out that totally counts as a 2022 film. I think it wasn't out in the cinema here until. No, absolutely not. It's like a foregone conclusion that I'll love anything that Paul Thomas Anderson does, anyway. So I often feel that I can't really be objective. It did feel, but then it did also feel like this film was specifically made for you. Yeah, very much. As so. well as being a Paul Thomas Anderson film. Yeah, um, I just it's just wonderful. It really is. It's one of my. I'd put it on my. Um, it was the first on my list actually of films that I've really enjoyed yeah. this year. Um, it's just like a really. There's a few films actually that have kind of vaguely similar themes that I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. talk about. But that kind of like really beautiful like encapsulation of growing up and like first love, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like very very sun kissed and a bit sort of nostalgic. Yeah, but also like chaotic and a bit high stakes because it's young people but in a very everyday point of work yeah. you know sort of everyday way and it's very joyful but it's also quite melancholic mm-hmm. and it's a love letter to kind of like filmmaking and film it's sort of Absolutely. on the outskirts of hollywood yep. which is obviously going to be something that you enjoy and i enjoy and the performances are just great it's just a really well. really great cast and it's just so influenced by like PTA's own childhood and if you know anything about him you you know that it's really influenced mm. by his childhood and he you know with his last film Phantom Thread it was a bit of a departure because it yeah. wasn't set in the immediate like Los Angeles area it was obviously set in London um, here in the UK so it's nice to sort of see him return to his roots and does things. this feel like a classic slice of Paul Thomas Anderson really? yeah it does and I just think it's really rewatchable I 
saw it a couple of times in the cinema just because I wanted to bathe in it. It's just, I don't know, I really, obviously really, really love his films and it was just so satisfying to start the year. Mm, gave me all the feels, It just, it's so nice. It is. It's just so nice. It's lovely. And those, yeah, the performances from Alana Haim in particular is like... So impressed. That was like really impressive. Didn't expect um, it. And Cooper Hoffman just, oh. There's just little things that Cooper Hoffman will do like glances or gestures or like hand movements that just remind me of his dad so much so so much and it was just utterly heartwarming and there's something quite nice about the fact that obviously pta and philip seymour hoffman collaborated Mm. with one another many occasions so it's just quite nice to sort of see that like i don't know cooper hoffman's first feature film is with pta yeah it's like he's is he's like inherited the talent but he's also inherited like these nice relationships yeah it's uh, nice his is very like quite an understated performance isn't it but in yeah. a way that feels quite i'm just interested to see what he does next um the next thing on my list is uh jackass forever <laughs> i wish i'd seen this so oh much you have God. to say when you saw this so i this is so extremely cool i had the day off on valentine's day this year and not intentionally but well just really wanted to go on a date with steve just really wanted to go on a date with johnny knoxville um took myself to the cinema to see jackass forever with a nice icy coke beverage lovely and genuinely was the best time i've had at the cinema this year do you remember when we all got to like re-watch and just re-enjoy Jackass in the early months of this year. That was fun, oh, wasn't so it? nice. Well, they were I'd, all just on streaming. They were, they were just watching Jackass. All I was the really, time. I was just sort of, I don't know, really hyped for the film. So I rewatched all of them, and just was. It's so nostalgia-driven. So obviously, this is eleven years after the last film. All of the Jackass boys have returned. Most of the old crew are back for another ride, along with some new additions, including the team's first woman, which is sort of quite significant and fun. Nice. And yeah, there's just something so nostalgic about Jackass. Um, I was really into Jackass when I was in high school. Oh, God, yeah. was, like, deeply obsessed with Johnny Knoxville. That was, like, early MTV days. Yeah. CKY. CKY, all Just got really stuff. into uh, Bamagera. And, <laughs> it's just, um, like, a perfect cross-section yeah. of interest in terms of, like, skate culture and just... Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk, <laughs> all of that thing. Um, Young people nowadays don't get to experience that. Isn't it funny? Emotional high. And it's also just, like... I don't know. At the time, Jackass was just, like, this legendary thing where it's like oh my god and and actually if you think about it they only did like one or two seasons because they so yeah they just had enough after that so yeah it's just it was just such a fun experience to see that in a group environment with a lot of people who were like largely the same age as me as (laughs) well of course and just everyone like losing it and just everyone being grossed out laughing gasping like oh it was just brilliant it's just so fun. Cinema I, at its best. <laughs> truly, this is what Martin Scorsese was talking about. This is why we go this is to why the we cinema. Go. Cinema. Um, after that, in March, we went to see The Worst Person in the World. It's the third part of Norwegian director Joachim Trier's Oslo trilogy, which began in 2006 with Reprise and then in 2011 with Oslo, August 31st. And stars Renata Reinsver, Anja Stanelson Light, and Herbert Nordrum, and, and chronicles four years in the life of Yulia, a young woman who navigates the troubled waters of her love life and struggles to find her career path, leading her to take a realistic look at who she really is. Um, 
I'd been really hyped to see this because it had shown at a lot of film festivals and a lot of critics whose work I enjoy reading had just kind of lost their minds over how brilliant it was. It's been talked about a lot, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a lot of hype for it. So when we finally got to see it, I was pleased that I wasn't let down. I feel like it's very much a Marmite film and the critical reaction to it and reaction of people I know has either been like... They're obsessed with it, find it massively relatable because it's about a millennial woman who's of similar age to us. Um, Or they've utterly despised it and just found absolute flaws in it. That's really interesting. Yeah, I I feel like it exists on like the Sally Rooney binary. Yeah, I think I'd read some is it Clarissa Loughry had yeah. said um she'd called it like a comedy of crises which mm-hmm. made me think of lots of those yeah. things as well like the very Sally maybe not Sally Rooney but like I don't know Fleabag-esque kind of like you either do find that relatable yeah. in a funny way in a kind of like oh this person's quite annoying or a bit unbearable or, or like it's just annoying me that she won't make up her mind about stuff but it's also in a very relatable way so I can kind of see why some people would despise that also. Yeah the Oslo trilogy in itself is about it's a sort of films that are about people that are going through like minor crises or major crises sort of trying to find their place in the world not really sort of sure of who they are and what their relationships are to those around them. Worst Person in the World reminded me a lot of Frances Ha mm. and I think for me exists now in this space of sort of bookending like a quite a significant yeah. period of my time and I think it was really it was inevitable for me really that I would sort of be quite knocked for six mm-hmm. by this and I think there is a lot in there that is extremely relatable to you if you are a woman of a particular age and yeah. that's what I really liked about it. Yeah, Yulia's like a couple of years younger isn't she yeah. than us currently, she's like turning 30 and you're right, it's like a very much a specific to us generational thing, captures a moment in time that's quite it is quite chaotic and indecisive yeah. actually and we do have a lot of conflicting I mean, maybe this has turned up to 11, but, you know, a lot of conflicting decisions to make about what we want to do, where we want to go, who we want to be with, are we committing to this thing, are we not? And just, I don't know, it's just like a constant bombardment, isn't it? So, yeah, absolutely. And I think it it looks amazing. The score, the soundtrack is wonderful. I keep, I've got a Spotify playlist that is just the worst person in the world, all the music that's from it, and it's just... I don't know. I just absolutely loved it. I can't... I know that when we do our end of year lists, it's going to be really up there for me. And um, yeah, it's on Mubi now where you can watch it on streaming. So if you have access to that and the whole Oslo trilogy is available there to watch as well. And I do do recommend those as a whole. I've sort of revisited a lot of Joachim Trier's work actually since then. Yeah. And he's a filmmaker that I, I just really enjoy and I really look forward to seeing what he does next afterwards perfect segue from the worst person in the world um is anders danielson lee because uh, the next on my list is bergman island mm. um which is the seventh feature from french director me and hansen Loeb and her english language debut it stars vicky Cripps and tim roth as a couple both filmmakers who retreat to faro the swedish island where ingmar bergman lived and worked to finish screenplays for films they're both working on while they're there, the lines between reality and fiction begin to blur and the film also stars Mia Wasikowska and the aforementioned Anya Stanison Lee. We mm. saw this together. I just loved it. It was just so good. I could have bathed in it. I think it's much like The Worst Person in the World. I think it's very much an acquired taste. Yeah, I think so. I, I sort of noted that it definitely... I put the connection between those two films together, not mm-hmm. just because of <laughs> certain actors, but um, 
but it's quite it's quiet isn't it it's mm-hmm. a very sort of it's full of kind of like sleepy beautiful landscapes and again it's quite romantic but melancholy yep and tragic again it's got hints of well hints it's about you know filmmaking and artistry mm-hmm. and writing I think you liked it more than me, mm-hmm. so I I've put it on my list as one that I really liked, mm-hmm. but didn't love, but I did enjoy it. I think I found Amy and Joseph, who were like the fictional element of yeah. the film. I actually found them to be more engrossing. Yeah. I got really sucked into their story. Yeah. Um, Tony and Chris's reality is like a bit more meandering. Yeah. Um, and the Bergman stuff is obviously taken quite seriously. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I engaged with it that part as much. Uh-huh. But the Amy and Joseph stuff, who are like the old lovers reuniting at a wedding, yeah. I was totally, totally pulled into that. And it is beautifully shot. There are some really stunning moments. I think I sort of came away and was like, I don't really know what, what point it was trying to make. Mm-hmm. Not that there always needs to be a point, but I, would, I couldn't quite decipher what the... Yeah. But I kind of enjoyed the journey anyway. Um, I thought it was funny because our friend Vix has this thing where, and I think I probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but she has this thing where she hates when books, when like nothing happens, when the plot is just people doing things and meandering and maybe being a bit sad and that's it. Because she won't like Bergman But whenever Island. she reads a book like that, she's like, oh, I hate it, but you're going to love it. And I, <laughs> I was thinking like the entire time through Bergman Island being like, Vix would hate this because it is just so meandering. It, I mean, it's, it's like obviously... It's the whole point is that it's extremely influenced by Bergman, yeah. who looked yeah. at relationships and did these sort of, you know, totally. Um, it makes sense. It makes absolute context. sense. And I think for me, it was just I knew so much that I was gonna love it for that reason. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I think it's interesting that Amy and Joseph story arc it comes in quite late in the film. It does actually, and you get so pulled into it. And Anil Stanislaw Lai is. Like, I just, if he looked at me in real life, I think oh, I would physically gorgeous. die. My favourite thing about him, Steph, I don't know if I've told you this, he's a doctor. Is he? In real life. Well, he's a doctor and an actor. Yeah. Does he just do acting as a hobby? Pretty much. Oh, for God's sake. He's a GP. Isn't that, like, the hottest thing Imagine if he heard? was your GP. <laughs> you couldn't go in with, like, fungal infections, could you? You couldn't be like, hi, I've got I'd, cystitis. I'd probably give myself Munchausen's and be oh like, oh, I've God. got something wrong with me again. I need oh, to I'm just, you. sorry, I've got this condition, which means I'm aggressively horny um, and great in bed. Can you treat me <laughs> for this, please? Oh, he's just, he's, he's brilliant in this film. Same reason he's brilliant in The Worst Person in the World, I think think um but yeah i i really liked it but i also can completely understand why someone would come away and have the reaction that you did yeah yeah absolutely. i i definitely liked it i didn't love it yeah. in the way that you did but i did like it and i can kind of see and then i thought oh, maybe am i like i just got this wrong like why didn't no. i completely love it but then when i did look it up i did see there were sort of like polarized absolutely. reviews again yeah, yeah, some yeah, people definitely. going like it was really boring yeah. it's like it's not boring but that some of it didn't work as well for me, but overall, it's like the epitome good. of like no plot, just vibes. Yeah, yeah. Me, in a way, yeah. I, quite like. I mean, I could watch Tim. I could watch Tim Roth He's for two hours any time. Absolutely, um, hottie. Um, so those are my like firm five favourites. Mm-hmm. Um, I have got some others I've enjoyed, but is there anything in particular that you have sort of absolutely loved that I've not mentioned? Um, so I definitely put Licorice Pizza and The Worst Person in the World on there. Um, I had, of course, mentioned The Northman. Oh yeah, that's on my notables, if only because yeah. we discussed it at length. Yeah, I mean, big and loud and weird. It's got some questionable CGI. Um, we reviewed it back in May, so you can listen to us talking about sort of big, a very big dissection of it then. Um, again, a film that split a lot of opinions. Um, some people don't like it as much because it is bigger budget. It does have that studio touch. Completely understand. 
Um, it does just feel like Robert Eggers with more money. It's not my favourite of his three films, but I mean, his three films are all like better than a lot of other films right. that I've seen in the past few years. So um, I just had a really bloody good time with it. Such a nice I loved time. everyone in it. And God. there were some really weird bits that I was just obsessed with. So um, I, I just had loads of fun with it and want to watch it again. Sometimes when I'm sad, I just think about Ethan Hawke barking. Oh my God. That was, that came so early. We were like, whoa, Push can't, me over the edge. can't be topping this. This was, um, yeah. So I had great fun with that. So I had put The Northman. I, had also again after those I pretty much had like goods yeah, not okay. great so I'd put Nit Ram which we yes had seen um last week yeah yeah so we saw Nit Ram last week which is uh, an Australian psychological drama directed by Justin Kurzel who also directed True History of the Kelly Gang which we reviewed I think I love that podcast. film. I, do you know what? In hindsight, I think I might love that <laughs> I film think I, too. I think about it so much. So do I. What I can't believe. I actually think that film's really good. I think it's really good. At the time, I was like, yeah, that was all right. It's actually really good. I've watched it many times, I think. It's like when I watched Raw and was like, that was good. That was fine. And we watched it in the cinema like two years later and I was like, this is the best film <laughs> this I've is ever the seen. Best thing I've ever what seen. is going on? Um, yes, yeah, so, but we were a big fan of that film, apparently. <laughs> and I think we were really looking forward to seeing this um, because it is directed by him, because it stars Caleb Landry-Jones. It also stars Judy Davis, Essie Davis and Anthony LaPaglia. Um, and it's based on the real life story of Martin Bryant and the events leading up to the murder of 35 people in the 1996 Port Arthur Massacre in Tasmania in Australia. So it follows a frustrated young man um, who has a very fractured relationship with his parents and he develops this unexpected friendship with quite a, a reclusive, eccentric heiress. Um, and when that relationship meets its tragic end, his loneliness and anger culminates into the most nihilistic and heinous of acts. So it's a film that understandably met some resistance and criticism when it was first announced. Lots of people in Tasmania weren't um, happy about the idea um, of it being made. I mean, I think it's actually incredibly well put together. I think considering it's such a tricky very tricky territory about a very sensitive event which, like significantly changed Australian history yeah. in terms of access to gun laws. I think one of the things that it does address right at the end of the film and was one of the things I knew particularly about the Port Arthur mm -hmm. massacre going in was that it only took 12 days for the Australian government to prohibit the access of the particular guns that were used. Which, considering... Like, it's impossible to watch it and not go, like... It took them 12 days to make this oh, decision. Oh, to make, you know, they didn't they recall, like, it was like 600,000 yeah. guns or something, or 60,000, I can't remember. Yeah. It was a big figure, like, off the bat, just recalled all yeah. those guns. And, yeah, within the context of what is going on in the yeah, world it's right hard, now, it? it's specifically America, of course you're going to draw those parallels. Mm. And that's kind of the point as yeah, well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I think it does tackle kind of something that is very sensitive and obviously a lot of people will have strong feelings about in a kind of... It's not like the best way possible because what does that... The best mm -hmm. way, what does that even mean? But it, I, I felt like it did a very... I was really worried that it was going to be very sensationalist or be like There's, too yeah. empathetic or like, you know, woe is me, sad person yep. who committed a massacre but i just i don't think that it no i didn't is. get the sense that there was a shred of sensationalism in it really i think the thing that i found and i'm sure you did too is that it's just there was a lot of frustration there 
because I felt like it's like watching a car crash happen. It is. You know what the end point is. Yeah. And yet you're having to watch, go, go through the motions, the relationship with his parents, the just yeah. the systems that are and aren't in place. Mm-hmm. And you're just, part of you's just sat there just being like, why did nobody step in? No. Why has nobody done anything? Mm-hmm. And um, it is, and some of it is, I mean, you said this to me afterwards that you had to look it up on Wikipedia just to check some of the plot points yeah. because some of it is so ridiculous. It's you mad. think, did they just embellish that for the yeah. film? No, it's all true, no. which is absolutely what I mean, it is a wild story, it's actually. His, wild. The, yeah, that his sort of journey is quite, un, it is unusual. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think there's sympathy for his character, no, actually. I, don't I think. think it observes and it gives quite a full picture of the events that led up to this really horrible tragedy but it doesn't excuse it or doesn't really offer any judgment on it at all really i think no. it i mean you can obviously empathize that i you know i feel for his parents mm. a lot mm. actually i feel for his parents a, a lot i feel frustration about like you say like the lack of systems in place so a lot of those things are very but i don't feel like it offered judgment based about him in any kind of like poor boy no any, you know, anything like that i think i was worried that they would try and make him likable and i don't think he is no in any capacity. no i don't the funny thing is i don't think he's like he's not likable he's not like dislikable as in you don't watch him going like what a, i don't know it's just very sad yeah it's I, just that's, very that's, sad yeah i just felt very sad um in a very like distance kind of way that you're mm. observing it kind of just like the almost like the facts unfolding but um, Caleb Landry Jones's performance, I think, is very, very good. He's so unsettling, terrifying, deeply, deeply, what, well, deeply unsettling and tense. The whole thing is like a horrible exercise in tension. It's really strange, isn't it? And it's not even like it's. I think the thing that I was oh, quite pleased with was that the the violence that does happen at the end. You. You don't have oh, to you see, don't it. see it. You don't no. see it. It's which is almost worse, I think. Yeah, I almost wondered if they were going to stop before it even happened. Mm, like when he first arrives at the kind of cafe, I thought maybe or no, when he arrives at the house, like yeah. the I thought maybe they'll just cut and that will be it. Mm-hmm. But as you say, it, it kind of deals with the the early what happened, but it doesn't dwell on it too much. And Judy Davis as his mother Essie as well, I think is superb she's brilliant i think she's really good so, so overall i think it was a very good film um it's one of those films that i i think is was worth watching but i just will never go back to it no no i can understand not, that yeah no it's not the thing is it's not actually enjoyable but no. not in a it's very good it's very yeah. good yeah but not enjoyable no. um it's a hard watch so i had that on my list um a film i did have that i don't know if you've seen is the innocent no i haven't but i know that it's uh, directed by Eskel Vogt, Vogt yeah. who um, also co-wrote and co-writes, sorry, with um, Jochen Trier. Yes, so he... Nice um, Norwegian connection. Yeah, he co-wrote the screenplay for The Worst Person in the World. Yep. Amazing. Lots of Norwegian films creeping yeah. in here. Um, I did watch this because it is kind of like more of a supernatural thriller slash... I guess it's kind of been hinted at as a horror, so it made it onto a couple of sort of top horror lists mm-hmm. for the year so far. And notably, I have not enjoyed much horror at all this year. So I'd wanted to watch this. Um, and it's kind of like an anti-superhero movie with sort of elements of horror. I think it came out in May this year, but I don't remember it being... I don't remember no. it having much of a release here at all. 
um, and it takes place in the middle of a housing complex in the summer when a group of children make friends and discover they have supernatural powers. Um, I won't say much about it. I went in pretty much with no context at all other than some positive like sort of headline reviews and a few people I know who um, watch a lot of horror films had spoken really favourably of it. Um, it's horribly, horribly unsettling for a film that takes place in the sunshine with a group of very young kids. Mm -hmm. And obviously it touches on sort of elements. You can kind of, you can guess kind of the themes based on, I mean, The Innocence um, draws from Turn of the Screw. There's sort of like carry elements there. Kids are very cruel, it would... Uh, it would seem who knew the performances are very very good so the relationship between the sisters Anna and Ida is great and then there's a friendship between Aisha and Anna which is brilliant as well the events obviously have a lot to do with like supernatural kind of magical elements but there's also the hard reality of um who's absent from most of the scenes which is the parents essentially there's no parents around so for me, it's probably going to be my most enjoyable superhero movie of the year because I don't watch it. Yeah, I don't watch a lot of superhero movies, but I actually thought it was very, very good. I wouldn't class it as a horror. Um, there are horrific elements, but it's got some very strong performances and it's unsettling in a similar way to Nip Ram, I guess. Oh, interesting. Um, but probably more enjoyable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very good. Um, I'd also put everything everywhere all at once on. Yes, that's um, on my uh, other notables. notables. Yeah, yeah um, I don't think we did discuss this. No, we didn't on the podcast. But then uh, I think there's not loads to say about it because it's been discussed so much. It was the hot topic on Twitter for like weeks, a big weeks on end. A big discourse generator. Huge discourse. Um, I truly don't care about Doctor Strange, so I couldn't even no. really engage. But I think for something with such a small budget. It's pretty damn good, isn't it? Yeah, it's fucking weird. I think um, <laughs> if you've ever seen any of the Daniels, the directors... Yes, Daniel, the Daniels. The Daniels. Um, if you've ever seen any of their other films, um, they do have a tendency to make things that are just slightly odd. Um, so I was expecting it to just be strange in parts. Yeah, I mean, it's chaotic and exhausting. Yeah. But actually surprisingly you can follow it for something which is so multiverse big sensory overload big sensory overload loved the costumes yeah um stephanie Sue is like her costumes in particular She's are amazing she is really good it's kind of funny it's a bit of a tearjerker all around fun time i would say yeah it was a good time at the cinema it's also a lot yeah it's a lot and it's another one of those marmite films because yes. i've seen like five star critical reaction and then people just being like this is just inane and i don't like it so yeah i had a great time it was fun it was good fun a fun time um i also had kimmy on my list i had kimmy as well yeah which you recommended i watch actually so it's a steven soderbergh film that truly flew under the radar at the time I it's think. weird isn't it, it was quite a quiet release um and it's a psychological thriller about an agoraphobic tech worker who's played by zoe kravitz and she is working, of course, from her apartment because she doesn't leave the building. And she records um, a piece of audio that she thinks is evidence of a violent crime taking place. And she tries to report it and is basically met with lots of um, resistance, people not taking her seriously. So she now um, tries to leave the, par the apartment and kind of fight for justice. Um, it's very short and simple, but... It's like 85 minutes. It's great. Yeah, it's really good time, though. I think it's one of the only COVID productions mm. that mentions COVID where I didn't find it, like, annoying. Yes, because it's kind of, I assume, filmed during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, 
but perfectly it perfectly encapsulates the feeling of the pandemic mm -hmm. that kind of like voyeuristic paranoia i think yeah. we all had at some yeah. point when we were stuck in our like apartments and houses but it isn't actually about the pandemic which no. is great uh mark kermode called it a siri era remake of real window which i felt was pretty accurate the real window vibes are very like true and prominent yeah i mean it doesn't like in a good way yeah in terms of sort of genre film it doesn't reinvent the wheel but it does that kind of fresh take on something that we're quite familiar with and i don't think there's ever any harm in that at no the time. no not at all and i love steven soderbergh i think he just has this willingness to just like do interesting different shit just because he likes making films yeah so yeah it's it's absolutely i had a good time with it it's good time watching. definitely um i had put <laughs> i had put as far as really big budget films mm -hmm. go big screen big budget i did put the batman i also had oh, the good. batman i think it's the only we didn't discuss it no i think it's the only like really big blockbuster film i've seen so far this year and enjoyed mm -hmm. totally thought i was going to find this pointless as in you know why are we remaking why are we doing another reboot of batman yeah but uh it was directed by matt reeves who did um two of the planet of the apes films which are really good films. They're good so we took a chance on it i think specifically for robert pattinson Emo batman. As, uh depicting jared white sorry batman god he's hot <laughs> so hot. emo batman um and it has a very strong cast obviously zoe kravitz again paul dano who is I just love brilliant. Being a weird little freak. Doing just being a weird little freak. Andy Circus, hot. Hot. Colin Farrell, <laughs> less hot. I just remembered that like literally that like week after we saw it, we were like, we were like Andy, Andy Circus. Woo. Um Yeah, so it takes the kind of like Christopher Nolan films, which are quote unquote dark and dark and gritty and like essentially just throws them in a gutter really it's very 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 going and heavy on the dark and gritty but just had a surprisingly good time actually i wasn't bored in the three hours that it went on for i don't understand why it had to be so long though well, i had a... batman films can't be less than I had apparently a, two I, hours i had a perfectly 58. pleasant time um really utilizes nirvana's something in a way oh my god yes in a in a in a sort of way that just feels like a very much personal attack against us specifically mm -hmm. I just so obsessed with Robert Pattinson's wardrobe, then sad, moody Batman. Nice shirt with scenes, um, lovely. You left out John Turturro as well. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> Peter Sarsgaard. <laughs> yeah, there was some amazing. Oh my god, Peter Sarsgaard. Hot, hot. There's lots of hot people in this film. I would rather watch this than probably 90% of the Marvel films that come out at this point. Yeah. So sorry. I think I just... It was very long. It was very long. That was my purveying takeaway um, from it. But I had a surprisingly good Great. time. And then the this one is on my good list because I, I it is... Um, I've notably not really had any horror films I've enjoyed this year. Yeah. Um, but I did actually quite enjoy The Black Phone. Steph, I've thought about it so much <laughs> since we saw it. The Black Phone is um, a supernatural <laughs> horror film directed by Scott Derrickson, who um, I do not really like. Sinister's great though, isn't it? No, look, <laughs> I've tried so hard with Sinister. You're all wrong about it. It's, it's, it's naff. It's, it's so naff. 
my thing with Sinister is that I, I always want to randomly watch it and then and I like genuinely it. get half an hour in and I'm like, this is not good. This is isn't it? good. Every time. Every time. The discourse is like underrated classic. It's not. I'm sorry, it's not. Anyway, so this is Scott Derrickson. It's an adaptation of a short story by Joe Hill, who is, of course, Stephen King's son. Um, it stars Mason Thames, Madeline McGraw, Jeremy Davis, James Ranson, and Ethan Hawke. Hot, hot. Uh, wiki plot is that um, Finney Shaw is a shy but clever 13-year-old boy who's being held in a soundproof basement by a sadistic mask killer. When a disconnected phone on the wall starts to ring, he soon discovers that he can hear the voices of the murderer's previous victims, and they are dead set on making sure what happened to them doesn't happen to Finney. So I was convinced that this would be absolutely shockingly bad. Mm. Horrible Blumhouse film. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said, not fan Scott Derrickson. Hasn't really done anything I've enjoyed. I was so entertained by this. I had a great time. I had a great time. Even, I, I think I'd said to you ahead of it that I was just deeply concerned that it would make me feel slightly confused because I obviously <laughs> love Ethan Hawke with like the Fire of a Thousand Suns. Um, Did you fancy him in this? Oh, I, like aggressively. Oh, okay. Upsetting. Um, there is a whole bit where he's just sat topless for no good reason apart from... My guy's ripped. Yeah. But I thought the ghost phone would be ridiculous. I was like, this is just not going to work. And it totally works. I leaned into it. Totally works. in a ve- And I hate to make the comparison. I'm so sorry, Joe Hill. But it works in a very Stephen King-esque way. It's... Like clever, compelling kids banding together. It's it's like the most Stephen King. It is. Thing. They're clubbing together to help someone out to survive. Um, Madeline McGraw, who is Finney's sister Gwen, is <laughs> like the so absolute good. runaway She's star so of this. She's like wily and witty, and I loved her. So sassy. Um, and it's just a film with. It, I mean, it's ridiculous and it's really freaky. Actually, some it of it. Ethan Hawke's character is horrible. <laughs> But it does have heart again, and so it's actually quite compelling. And I do think it had some great performances. So I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. My favourite part was... Uh, I I think I'd forgotten or not realised that James Ransom was yes. in it. And he appeared, and I was like fucking delighted brilliant <laughs> like love it brilliant it's just boosted this film to new heights so, 100% again Marmite film I know people who have spoken to me and gone like yeah I didn't like it at all which again I'm not surprised by but I surprised myself that I actually had a very good time and it is genuinely one of the only horror films I have likes this year um the only other one i put down as a notable was fresh because i was convinced again that a a horror film with sebastian stan and daisy edgar jones would be the worst thing i'd ever seen and i actually found it hilarious well that film um, that film works famously because sebastian stan has the air of a serial killer absolute american psycho vibes absolute Shall we do TV? Again, I've barely watched any TV from 2022. When I went through my like very cool, meticulous list of everything I've watched and engaged with this year, I'd forgotten about how much television I'd re-watched and then realised I was like, I can't really list the like six seasons of The Walking Dead I've watched. No, and I- I've just watched Supernatural. Um, Fine though, isn't it? So there's like 15 seasons of that, so it's taking me a while. Both great. Um, yes, having a great time with Supernatural, but it was in fact not released this year, so can't talk about that anymore. I love Dean. So, what have I liked? I watched Station Eleven. Oh, you did, didn't I you? I did, yes, which um, I think came out in January in the UK, mm-hmm. I think maybe. It came out last year in the US, but at the end of the year, but early this year. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic dystopian miniseries 
created by Patrick Somerville, who was a writer on The Leftovers, so obviously good vibes. Um, and it's based on the novel of the same name by Emily St. John Mandel. And it follows the survivors of a devastating flu who attempt to rebuild and reimagine, I know, honestly, the world anew whilst holding on to the best of what's been lost. I did not think I'd have the stomach for apocalyptic flu TV. Big 2020 vibes. Yeah, not after our few years. But I wanted to give it a try because lots of people recommended it. And actually so little about this show is about flu or a pandemic or that. It's about how society survives and endures. And it feels a lot more hopeful than it does dystopian. And it's about kind of how joy survives and culture and art survives and people and relationships go on. So it's not very action packed. It's quite a slow burner. But um, it's actually very beautiful. Um, So I had a really good time watching it. So I'd recommend that. I also recently watched, this will make you laugh, uh, I recently watched The Essex Serpent, which we watched the first episode of together. We did, yeah. Um, It's very historical drama, period drama. It's on Apple TV. It's written by Anna Simon and directed by Cleo Barnard. um, And it stars Claire Danes and Tom Hiddleston. And it's about Cora, who is uh, a new widow, and she um, relocates to Victorian London, from Victorian London to a small village in Essex. And she's intrigued by a local superstition that a mythical creature known as the Essex Serpent has returned to the area. Um, I carried on watching this. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit of a sucker for historical drama anyway. You do love it. Which is not really your It's not my vibe. Bag. Not your bag. I don't watch loads of it all the time, but anything Victorian Gothic is 100% yeah, it's just my your, shit. Your shit. I'm also a big fan of the book. I really like Sarah Perry's The Essex Serpent. And I've followed the creation of this show quite closely because of Sarah's connection to where I work because she's a patron of where I work so there was a point during the pandemic where she was having meetings with Tom Hiddleston and Claire Danes in the meeting room downstairs below my office so I can't believe I just that. deeply there's a really good anecdote about Tom Hiddleston reading Sarah Perry poetry over Zoom that I, I won't go into now but if anyone ever wants to ask me about it it's a beautiful story so that also obviously made me want to watch it so I was always going to give it a try I knew it'd be atmospheric. A lot of the book's magic kind of lies in its setting and the landscape of Essex. Um, But this show would really hinge on the chemistry between the two main characters um, and that kind of will they, won't they Mm -hmm. uh, storyline. Claire Danes and Tom Hiddleston are brilliant in this. Tom Hiddleston in particular as horny vicar. Love a horny priest. I mean, in the one episode that we watched, he made me sweat. In a woolly woolly jumper. My thing with him as well is that he's got the most satisfying voice. Beautiful voice. That I would honestly listen to him read the phone book. Just gorgeous voice. It's one of the best voices, I think. It elevates him so much. Wonderful. The show is a real slow burner. It is a gothic romance, heavy on the relationships um, between the leads. There's a bit of sort of folk horror and magical realism to it. But overall, it, it does hinge on this relationship, which I think works really well. All of the characters, actually, for an adaptation, I think it's quite rare to get all of the casting right. Mm-hmm. And I think they do with oh, this. Interesting. So I had a really nice time watching it in the end. Um, and I'm really glad I did. So it's well worth it. Very nice. Um, I'll just zip through a couple of other things. So uh, I watched the final season of Dairy Girls. um, That was season three. 
Uh, I never wanted this show to end, actually. Um, it's genuinely very funny and endearing. It uh, is quite nostalgic, especially in terms of the soundtrack, which is incredibly on point at all moments. Um, the political backdrop for this show has always sort of been there. It's always been quite lighthearted. And I think in this final season, they do bring it sort of to the forefront a bit more. It's actually quite sad. Mm -hmm. um, it has, it, it's hilarious, it's hysterical the entire time, but there are moments that are actually quite poignant and sad. But I do think it always succeeds in bringing sort of light and hope to a very difficult situation. Some of the episodes in this final season are some of my favourite ever. However, I think there is like one quite big misstep or pop point that doesn't work in one of the later episodes, which was a shame. However, I was just crying my eyes out by the end and I will miss them dearly. Aww. So that was great fun. Loved that. I have been watching Severance, have which you? I haven't finished oh, yet. Oh, interesting. I haven't started it yet. Loads of people have talked about Severance. Um, and it's a, a psychological thriller, um, sort of science fiction show by Dan Erickson. And it's directed by Ben Stiller my and guy. Aoife McArdle. Um, it stars Adam Scott. Zach Cherry, Britt Lower, John Turturro, Christopher Walken and Patricia Arquette and the plot follows Mark, an employee of Lumen Industries who agrees to a severance programme in which his non-work memories are separated from his work memories. So he leads a team of office workers and outside of work they have no memory of what they've done at work and in work they have no memory of outside work. So basically the one that is in work they're just working forever because they like conk out when they're in the elevator leaving work and then when they conk back in, That's so um, they've just never left. So they just work constantly. And a mysterious colleague appears outside of work and meets Mark. And so he begins this journey to discover the truth about their jobs. I've got a couple of episodes left. I have to watch it quite slowly because it stresses me the fuck out. Oh, really? It's just Well, it's just that very... Obviously, it's a commentary on um, the corporate world and, you know, they're essentially slaves to their jobs um, and about sort of self, but you know, the freedom of movement and all of these kinds of things. Um, I just can't bear to think about the fact that we're probably all moving towards a working situation like that anyway. It's very tense, but it's very intriguing within a setting that's obviously very minimal. So you're, you know, you're in an office space a lot of the time and it's amazing how edge of your seat it can be when someone just takes a trip to a different office on a different part of the building floor where they're not supposed to go. So um, it's very weird. It's a little bit like, bit lynching, a little bit Cronenberg body horror. It has its moments. It's very well acted. Patricia Arquette is fucking terrifying she's very scary um and i'm really eagerly awaiting the final episode because lots of people have delivered lots of praise for it so i think it will be good but i am having to pace myself because it makes me feel quite stressed that's sensible Ooh. very sensible russian doll season two we mentioned back in may in our episode with the northman just was surprised that had actually quite a good time with this season when we found the first season to be so strong. I don't think we thought that it could be replicated for no, a second time. Not. But I think they made a really good decision to not go back to the time loop premise and instead do something different and do this kind of journey back and forth through time and through generations. So we, if you want to listen to us talking about that in depth, we had a very good time with the soundtrack. Um, probably not as good as season one, but we still had fun with it. I enjoyed it, yeah. yeah. It was good. For something that probably doesn't need to exist, it's great. <laughs> exactly. Justified its own existence. Absolutely. We love that kind of thing. And we do love Natasha Leon, so that was grand. 
I am going to touch on Shining Girls, which is something that I watched like months ago on Apple TV. You're really getting good use out of your Apple TV subscription. I am shocked that I, I, mine. I got that like six month free subscription with my phone yep. years ago. Never watched anything for six months. Cancelled it. Never bothered again. Got it back for the Essex Serpent mm-hmm. specifically and have been like wow i want to watch this and this and this can i just tell you that the only thing i've watched on mine probably in the last year genuinely i did not finish season two of ted lasso oh no yeah yet, but i have watched the beastie boys film oh, of multiple times oh. and also peanuts the Snoopy. oh cute so see Brown. that justifies its existence that's great i yeah there's a bunch of stuff i want to watch pachinko that's on there yeah um i haven't yet I want to watch. Sl- is it called Slow Horses? Slow Horses. Yeah. I would like to watch that. Wow, you're really it's leaning just some, in. Some bangers. But anyway, I watched Shining Girls, which is it's based on the novel The Shining Girls by Lauren Bukes, and it stars Elizabeth Moss, Wagner Mora, and Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell, Jamie randomly. Bell. Yeah. So the plot is uh, years after a brutal attack left her in a constantly shifting reality. Kirby learns that a recent murder is linked to her assault. She teams with a veteran reporter to understand her ever-changing present and confront her past. So I basically watched, started watching this one afternoon because I had nothing else to do on a Sunday. And I like Elizabeth Moss. And I was intrigued once upon a time by the book but never read it. And it's a time-shifting serial killer mystery. Bit confusing because of the time-shifting. So mm-hmm. a couple of times I was like, what on earth is going on here? Um, and for that reason, it's probably not 100% successful. However, kind of like Kimmy, it's like a fresh take on something quite familiar. So you've got sort of a slow burn story about two journalists chasing a serial killer. Mm-hmm. So I had fun with that. Love that. Good performances. Lovely. Getting my money's worth out of Apple TV. You really are. I need to cancel mine. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Um, you can just use mine. Can I? So just jump onto mine. I, I think still use your... Prime or no Disney Plus. Disney I still Plus. use a Disney Plus, so let's share Apple TV. I'm also going to give a shout out to Euphoria, Haven't not because it. it's Christ. It's I know it's completely deranged, and I know everyone hates it, and it's basically an internet I don't hate meme. It. it just feels like I've most watched people the, hate the first it season about three times. We did really enjoy the first it. season. It is basically an internet meme at this point, yeah, though, of course um, it is, and at times it has the depth of a puddle. However. <laughs> I just get really hooked when I watch it. It's compelling. So Angus Cloud as Fezco. Like, adore him. Obsessed. Love that he is actually just Fezco in real life. Yeah. And I really love Sydney Sweeney, as we've discussed, as Cassie. Completely mad. I love her. It's just the funniest show to watch. And it's so funny to watch and text someone. So Rob Watts was watching it when I was watching it. And we were just texting each other. And it's just really funny and just so dramatic and over the top. I just have a great time with it. And I actually think it's funnier because lots of people really seem to hate it now. One of my favourite things from Euphoria season one that I think about with like strange alarming regularity is the fact that Maddie is obsessed with Sharon Stone's character in Casino. Yes. Which is like no 16 year old is going to be obsessed with, like, the Sharon Stone Sam character. Sam what were you thinking? In a, in a Martin Scorsese <laughs> film. But I just love that that's her, that's her dream. Yeah, that's also really fancy Jacob Elordi, which oh, I think we've deeply discussed stressful. before. I've got one more thing, but I don't know, you might mention it, so we'll see. Um, do you want to go through some of your TV? Because I know you've been watching different things to me. Yeah, we've got, like, no overlap apart from the, the one thing that we will discuss. Okay, so I've done, unintentionally did this in order of preference, but only because... Is that because there was something that was at the top of your mind as you 
wrote this list. Yes. Guys, this is where I just get to monologue about how much I love the bear. So the bear is um, FX on Hulu. Um, I think it's going to be on Disney Plus in the UK soon. It's an eight episode season about a Michelin fine dining chef called Carmen Carmi Bezzato who returns to Chicago after his brother's death to take over the running of his family's sandwich shop. It stars Jeremy Allen White, Ebon Mosbacharach, Ayo Dabari, amongst others. I am utterly obsessed with this <laughs> like show. Have you watched all of it yet? I've seen it twice. Oh, you have watched it twice. Good. Yeah, that's I've watched when you it know you're twice. really obsessed. In the space of a week. I think the Michelin chef thing was already like, yeah, she's going to love this. Oh, God. I just... You know how I feel about cooking shows. And it really does lean into my favourite things, which are, like, cooking food on TV and anxiety-inducing film and television. Yeah. It's been renewed for a second season, and I can't wait because it sort of ends on this sort of... It's one of these shows where if it existed as a, a season of its own, I feel like it does interesting good stuff mm-hmm. where you'd be like oh, okay cool put a bow on it that's it delivered mm-hmm. great but i'm really interested to see where it goes next like there is potential recency bias with this but i do think it is the best thing i've watched so far this year the performance in this are are just brilliant jeremy allen white is not someone that was really on my radar before watching the bear is he the hot one yeah it's the one with like the pale blue god eyes. he's so hot he's so <laughs> hot um, he spent 10 years in the American remake of Shameless. <laughs> Did he? He plays Lip in Shameless. <gasps> and I never yeah. watched no. American Shameless no, because I'd enjoyed the British Shameless. Why would I watch the American Shameless? I was like, Shameless. why have you remade this? That's also set in Chicago, which I'd not realised. So yeah, he's someone that's just like not on my radar, but he um, is brilliant in this. He really radiates sort of like extreme sadness and anxiety and he just has a real care for this job and he's got a lot of grief and trauma that he's dealing <laughs> this with. This is your favourite boy! Oh, on, honestly. I also just think um, Ibon Masbakarak, who plays Desi in Girls. Oh, right, yes. I, I think he is great. He plays a character in the first season of of the Punisher mm-hmm. um, and it was a delight to see him in that but obviously in my brain and to most people he is just Desi yeah, from of Girls course. Yeah. but he's so good as Richie who's oh. one of the other chefs that works at um, The Beef which is the name of the diner Ada Bari is really great as a character called Sydney who comes on um, as a sous chef in the restaurant because she's a fan of Kami's because she's eaten his Michelin style food at previous restaurants and it's just brilliant one of the executive producers is matthew matheson ah. um he's also in it as well nice. acting um and he's just brilliant i don't know it's just half an hour episodes there's a really interesting uh episode seven into the finale episode eight episode seven is an entire one so it's just one shot oh nice through the cast and crew have talked a lot about how they rehearsed it and they did genuinely film it all as one mm. shot and it's got very like fraught uncut gems yes. stress level oh. vibes which is probably why i've enjoyed it so much the soundtrack is brilliant it's got a lot of chicago references there's a lot of wilco on the soundtrack right there's some <laughs> sufjan stevens um it uses the opening riff of new noise by refused mm-hmm. all the time um, I just fucking love it. I can't. I really want you to watch it, and I I'm definitely going to watch it. Get to discuss it, but I just. Well, hopefully, if it comes on Disney, Disney Plus, I will yeah, get to watch it. I so think half hour episodes. Half hour episodes. Perfect. It's just magic. Um, 
I just want to lay claim to Jeremy Allen White now before yes, everyone yeah, else gets in. Yeah, you've heard it first here, folks. Guys, just, new, yeah. new white boy just dropped. The Another thing I really enjoyed as well, which I don't think you've watched at all, is no. um, We Own This City. It's HBO and Sky Atlantic. Mm. It's a six-episode miniseries focusing on the rise and fall of the Baltimore Police Department's gun trace task force and the corruption within it. The show focuses on Sergeant Wayne Jenkins, played by John Berndthal, who's one of eight officers who were convicted on various corruption charges during 2018 and 19. Um, it's directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green, and the show is based on the non-fiction book of the same name, written by Baltimore Sun reporter Justin Fenton which was then adapted by crime writer George Pelicanos and David Simon who is best known for The Wire as well as Burnthal um, like all HBO dramas the cast is incredibly stacked and includes Wenmi Masaka, Jamie Hector and Josh Charles amongst others this is very much David Simon proving why he's like the god of crime television mm-hmm. um, I love The Wire I think it's one of the best TV shows of all time so setting this back in the Baltimore universe within the same police departments it was inevitable that I would really really enjoy it and Mm. I think it's really well executed it does tackle things like racism as a lot of hostility and unrest in Baltimore um, at this particular time that it's addressing um, particularly the vehement corruption within the police department and yeah it's just brilliant I just had such an enjoyable time watching it I watched it week by week as well and it just was so nice to have something to look forward to and did just remind me of the absolute joy I had with watching The Wire John Burnthor is one of my favourite actors anyway but he manages to just play and inhabit these horrible characters so so well like he's so unlikable in this Um, but (laughs) brilliant like he just plays a bad cop so consistently and with such regularity um, hot bad cop hot bad cop he's not hot in this though he's bad is he not no he's got weird like 2000s hair oh good. no um, well but just he's brilliant the whole cast is brilliant um, i'm keen i'd like to watch that i think i need to watch it with wes i haven't watched all of the wire but that won't matter no no oh no no it's not it's no. not in any way connected it's just obviously like set with yeah, the set so within the if you're same someone, universe yeah if you're someone that has watched the wire and you have a familiarity mm-hmm. with the way that it sort of structures baltimore and the things that exist within baltimore with like the social structures mm-hmm. and the neighborhoods and everything then you're instinctively going to kind of lean into this cool. um but i don't think it would affect your viewing Good. of it in any way shape or form so. wes has watched all the wire i think so He'll it's one it, of those things that i would like to time and watch with him yeah yeah i think he would really really enjoy it Something else from HBO which I've really enjoyed was uh, the third season of Barry, which is the black comedy crime drama created by Alec Berg and Bill Hader, who also stars as the titular hitman from Cleveland who finds himself in LA taking acting classes under the tutelage of Jean Cousineau, who's played by Henry Winkler. There was a three-year wait for this due to COVID and season three finds Barry depressed and out of work while his girlfriend Sally experiences great success with her TV show Joplin. Things soon begin to unravel for Barry as the consequences of his actions start to catch up with him. Um, I think Barry is one of the best written things on TV. Um, I love Bill Hader anyway, but I just think that Barry is, is so clever. Half an hour episodes as well. Beautiful. Which I love. Great ensemble cast. And I was really pleased to see this return. And again, I loved having it to watch week by week. And it's definitely worth um getting on board with if you haven't already watched it um there were some moments in this season that 
genuinely made me feel unwell oh. with both anxiety and sheer horror of what was happening on screen especially the final episode like it's just ugh, very 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 messed up um another hbo piece of content Lots of hbo yeah big hbo yeah. I, was, I was big on apple tv this year inexplicably <laughs> big hbo corner for me um season two of starstruck which is also a bbc3 production it's the second part of rose matafo's comedy drama focusing on Jessie who's a New Zealander living in London who after a one night stand finds herself in a relationship with Tom Kapoor who's an A-list actor. The first six episodes were released April 2021 and I think I mentioned it on our best of 2021 Mm. roundup and these new episodes in this new season um, show Jessie and Tom trying to negotiate their lives together after she decides not to return home to New Zealand after all. Um, This is like absolute rom-com vibes. In in the (laughs) olden days it would have absolutely been a film but i'm really enjoying that they've sort of built it out into a season rose matafeo is so funny and just very relatable in her preoccupation with pop culture especially films which inevitably because she's dating an actor in this show is woven into the narrative and it's just brilliant it's a really really lovely show i think probably quite underrated so um if you are in the market for something slightly light-hearted but just romancy and fun and funny i definitely recommend it I really enjoyed Russian Doll, which you've already covered. Mm. Yellow Jackets was something else that I watched this year, which yeah. you covered in our 2021, which is yeah. just... Did I watch it 2021 then? Yeah, yeah I did. it's just brilliant. I loved Yellow Jackets. Um, girl, the season two of Girls 5 Ever as well, which I've recently finished and really enjoyed. And the last thing on my list is uh, Stranger Things Stranger 4, things which I believe was is on yours as well. Parting, yeah. yeah. Um, so no spoilers, no mainly spoilers. because I actually haven't... I've got one episode oh, to go. Oh, you've got the, the I've got the final hour. big one, the film-esque episode left to go. I have no idea. We'll finish it this week, hopefully. So unless they entirely fuck that episode up, I have had a great time with this show again every time I get suckered back into it. I was so sceptical ahead of it because I was like, why are these episodes so long? There were a lot of like... 70 80 God, yeah. 90 minute we every then... time we have a discussion about the show and we're like mm, not really fussed about watching it again i had a good time but am i going to watch it more and then i just get fully emotionally invested about to peer pressure i did oh, it and I, God. I, I feel like no spoilers no spoilers but it felt like a bit of a return to form yeah i think it was one of the strongest seasons they've yeah. had in a while lots um, of sort of some new characters eddie munson eddie munson king best character they really so struck good. out on that so so good good it's just blissful escapism really i just love it, it. even even my obsessed. even my vague frustration at the fact that all of the teens are growing up too fast so they look a bit of out of 45 um <laughs> no schnapps voice oh my god now is like this hello is <laughs> really funny mike why don't you love me mike why don't you love me um it's just really deep it was very this season's very dark it's really gory Um, genuinely unsettling some horrific moments very gory not a kid's show fully obsessed with Steve I just Dustin it's the Steve Dustin Robin um, and Max dynamic I I love just I honestly would watch a spin-off that was just Steve and Robin in the video store yes like that's my With ideal. Dustin coming in yeah. and running VHS yeah. is what I would love to watch. Um, Joyce and Hopper, of course, also absolutely adore. Hot. I can always do with less time spent with Eleven and Mike. And I think it's interesting that Eleven is one of the lesser compelling characters in the show now. I would like to live my truth and say that I just don't like her. 
that's fine. I think that's fine. I just, every time we were sort of in Eleven World, I was like, I could really just go just back the least to um, hanging out with everyone else, yeah. actually. Having a lovely time. Let's just replace Eleven with Eddie Munson. Uh, the needle drops... As always, have brilliant. been banging. I'm very glad for an entire generation of young people that are now like, wow, Kate Bush and Metallica. I find it really funny that there was this entire like backlash against like the young people getting into Kate Bush because like at some stage the majority of us will have had to experience like hearing something for the first of time. Course. And what better like what a lovely experience to have never heard Running Up That Hill before and for this to be an introduction. That's and for great. you to be like, yo, Kate Bush, Why really would you good. want it to be forgotten? Why are you Do gatekeeping want... that? Don't gatekeep that. Do you want like the younger generations to not pay attention to Kate Bush and she just gets lost in the ether? Even she's on board. Kate's fine with it. She's fine. Just get a grip. Come on. Lovely. So, yeah, I have one episode left. We, I think we will probably talk about it maybe in some more depth. We'll it see. would be nice to unpack it a bit. but Yeah, we'll see. But... I've just had a nice time with it. It's, it's brought me great comfort. Yeah, I loved it. It Happiness. was a nice, nice little distraction and um, was nice to be back in Hawkins. I love it so much. So we've covered film and TV and we're now moving on to music. Um, should I start? Yeah, you can start. Absolutely. One of the things I've really enjoyed this year is Black Country New Roads answer up there. It's their second LP, the last with singer Isaac Wood, who left just before the record's release, actually, citing mental health issues. Um, I think I mentioned Black Country New Road mm-hmm. when we did our 2021 roundup because their first record came out last year. It's just really brilliant. I love it. What more to say? Mitski's Laurel Hell as well really enjoyed I think those two records came out on the same day did they which was just like very emotionally overwhelming for me specifically Laurel Hell is Mitski's sixth album I adore it it's just full of absolute bops Um, we saw her support Harry Styles recently we did she was so good she's She's a beautiful vocalist and musician and performer. She's very, like, theatrical with her performances. Bit of a Kate Bush vibe. Yeah, love it. Kate Bush, Bjork, kind of, Yeah, I don't know. Really leans into Bible that stage. entire aesthetic. Yeah, um, it's lovely. So, yeah, we had a great time with Laurel Hell. Big Thief's fifth studio album and a double LP is Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. It's recorded all over during COVID lockdowns. It kind of brings together their sort of, like folky indie vibe bit country in parts just spent a lot of time really overplaying that at the start of the year um it does have a bit of a summer vibe so it was quite nice when it came out in february march time to just be thinking of the prospect of Mm. nice weather i've been big into drug church's hygiene which is their fourth record Tomberlin's I Don't Know Who Needs to Hear This is her second album from indie folk singer released on Saddle Creek I really needed this album and it's just so, so beautiful. And I think she's really underrated as a singer. I think she gets a bit lost behind people like Phoebe Bridges, Mm -hmm. Lucy Dacus, Julian Baker. And if you're into either of those three, Tom Berlin's someone that you should absolutely check out if you get the chance. I had a really nice time listening to you. Soak's third album, If I Never Know You Like This Again. Um, they're a Northern Irish singer. Kind of poppy, folky. Um, reminds me a lot of the Claude record that I enjoyed last year, the year before. Mm-hmm. Just really nice, like, kind of upbeat but sad uh, songs. I've just noticed there's, like, 
a lot of Ireland on this list, which is quite really? funny. Yeah. Wrecking the Island, brilliant. Wrecking Ireland. Yep. Um, big into um, Skinty Fear, which is the third record from Fontaine's DC, who are obviously based in Dublin. Just Mustard's Heart Under is their mm. second full-length LP. Um, it's kind of shoegazy, post-punky, atmospheric, noisy. I don't know, I've been listening to it a lot, like doing walks home, and it's just really nice. Just such a nice Yeah, album. you recommended that to me and it's ended up as something that I've listened to um quite a lot as well. Very dreamy. It's really dreamy. Lovely vocals. Looking forward yeah. to seeing them live in September because I think it'll be one of those records that just like works well in, in a mm-hmm. live setting. Something that I'm sure that you'll talk about is Angel Olsen's Big Time, her sixth studio album. I obviously had a great time with Kendrick Lamar's uh, Mr. Morales and the Big Steppers, which is album number five from him after a five-year wait. And we have discussed at length Harry's House, which is a bit of a full conclusion. Yeah. So I didn't actually put him on my list, but he is number 11 as a little little bonus treat. Um, so that's sort of some things I've really enjoyed. A bit of a, a blast through. What about, what about you? I, for some reason, decided to do these chronologically i, I don't know that. why after not doing any of the other bits chronologically I great it. i was just thinking about what i've listened to yeah. and when um so the first thing that i got really obsessed with at the start of the year was boy harsh's record mm. the runner which was sort of my personality for a few months mm. um i've mentioned them before on the podcast i'm a huge fan of their work it's very sort of dark wave industrial synth pop it's quite poppy in places um, and the runner is their third studio album and it's also the soundtrack to a short film that they made which was called the runner it's a very it's not very long. it's like half an hour long um it's this very sort of lynchian meta horror which features the band and um a female serial killer played by chris s fandiari from king women it looks and sounds very cool basically uh, and it's very the whole record and the the film is sort of shadowy and claustrophobic it kind of makes me feel like i'm on like that shot on the lost highway like in the car just with the road it's very yep. very lost yep. highway there's also something surprisingly poppy about it so um tracks like autonomy which features cooper b handy and machina which features mariana saldana are very yeah definitely more synth pop uh, very much a depth of winter record so I absolutely loved that um, and I'm seeing them next month which I'm very excited about uh, I also put Mitski's Laurel Hell some real brilliant songs on that record um, and it was lovely to see her with Harry VR Sex's Rough Dimension came out in March and I've mentioned them before because uh, I really enjoyed their last record Human Traffic Jam and they are a band that features Andrew Klinko from Drab Majesty so they're kind of like the heavier sibling of Drab Majesty more acid punk uh, it's very loud but it has got a nice synth poppy undertone again so I very much enjoyed that. In April, we had Wet Leg, the self-titled Wet Leg record, which is their first studio album. And I resisted this for a few weeks because everyone was fucking banging on about it so much. So did I. I Oh, shut the fuck up. Everyone just kept talking about it. And I thought, (laughs) this is so overhyped. Yeah. And I'm not... Like, personally, I don't listen to a lot of British kind of indie rock. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm probably not going to like it anyway. And then eventually I did. And I was like, damn, this is probably one of the catchiest records of this year. I'm really fascinated by its sort of like very mundane, tedious subject matter. But it sort of captures that moment of being female, being in a female band, just living in a male-dominated world, really. And dealing with, like, 
scuzzy guys. Wet Dream is probably like one thing. One of my favourite songs. One thing I think about often is the line, do you want to come over and... Do you know, every... See with me, I've got Buffalo 66, 66. on DVD. Every time that plays, I think of you. Do you? Because I've got a massive Buffalo 66 poster because yeah. I'm a film bro. It all... Yeah, every time... Buffalo 66 is uttered Great I film. think of you Great film. Um, and I'm really struck by that image of someone licking a windscreen as well <laughs> so just love that great time Harry Styles was in May which we reviewed last month which you can listen to absolutely loved it I just love it obviously a sucker for the whole thing but I love the the poppy vibes and the bigger sounds and then I also cry at the sadder songs like Matilda like in a very basic way can't help myself Matilda bodies me every time (laughs) I wish I could resist it (laughs) I'm like god I'm not that simple I really am Angel Olsen's record Big Time as you mentioned came out in June she's got a t-shirt that she's just released that says it's not country but it's not not country which I think is, is that on a t-shirt yes. I have to get it it's oh so my God. good it's not country but it's not not country love it uh, I've put definitely more country definitely than more her country. previous work yeah. um, which has always touched on it but um, this is a record that's very much equal parts joy and sadness um, something that's quite striking is that Olsen came out as queer a few months before recording this album and she announced that she had a new partner and then both of her parents died very suddenly um, and I can't imagine the sort of simultaneous highs and lows of coming out, telling the world, introducing your ni- new partner, being in the height of love and then losing both of your parents. It's intense, and isn't it? It's just awful. I just can't imagine it. Um, and so I, it, it's funny how when I listen to this record, I always think of her. It's mm. not just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, really enjoy this yeah. record. I do actually think about her and her experience every time I listen I'm to it. I'm the same. It. Yeah. I think so... I must have read an interview with her around the album's release where she was talking very openly about like the themes that it considers um and it's really hard to just like I obviously I'm not saying you can't really detach you yourself can't from it oh no in I a way just, that I don't often I wouldn't usually associate it that closely no, with no, just no. end up thinking about her when I listen to yeah. it and so sometimes I can't listen to it it's intense it's very poignant and tracks like the title track like Big Time is just it's just really I don't know I just love her anyway I think she's brilliant and we're seeing her later in the year can't and wait. I'm very excited for okay. it Moona's album have you listened to this self-titled album I have listened to it a couple of times I've probably under listened to it in a way that I probably regret I just really love this it I had a really nice time I think the day that it came out I think I was walking somewhere and it was really it was like one of the first sunny days and it was just so I was just like oh this is just so nice extreme pop record real pop record They're so good. We saw them play again with Harry Styles. They were really fun. This is their third album. It came out in June. They're just a brilliant pop band and they used to be sort of more, slightly more indie pop, but they've now really leaned into the synth pop. There's a lot of synth pop I'm enjoying this year. And it's their first record on Phoebe Bridges' Satisfactory label. Um, We spoke about Silk Chiffon with Phoebe Bridges last year, which is the opener for this record. But then... The next track is What I Want, which I'm fully obsessed with. It's just an absolute dancey pop. Amazing. So good, Such it? a banger. And then we come full circle because there's also a song, No Idea, co-written with Mitski. So it's all coming together Love beautifully. It. A lot of overlap. That's going to be one of my favourite pop, like pop, pop yeah. records of the year, which is lovely. And then recently in July, we had Viagra Boys' Cave World. Viagra Boys is a Swedish post-punk band They've got this nice injection of like weird jazz. This is the third album 
I'm a big fan. I really liked Welfare Jazz, which was their record from last year, which was one of my favourites. They're really great live. Sebastian Murphy, I low-key fancy in an He's odd way. Steph. He's very attractive. very hot. He's got the swagger of... I don't want to be that of, person. Oh, God. But... It's just... He's got the swagger of Shane McGowan, <laughs> but is hero-worshipped when he's on stage like Nick Cave. Yeah. Like people were going crazy for him and he just does whatever the fuck he wants he's just he's a super weird dude this record feels more polished than the first two but the sound is very rich and layered um and there are a few tracks like ain't no thief and punk rock loser and the cognitive trade-off hypothesis which are some of my favorite songs that they've ever done um they are quite heavy on the satire so it can be a bit much sometimes this record is very um i'm sure i read somewhere that they'd essentially remixed a bunch of old music that they already had for this and then um sebastian wrote like new lyrics for them mm-hmm. so it's very contemporary as in it's talking about anti-vaxxers and mental health and gun violence and it's very of this moment can yeah can be a bit much there's also lots of references to shrimp so it's good fun too it's just a very fun record so i've really liked that um my other notable mentions are just mustard heart under another one i really liked is kelani and blue water road which came out in april which is their third studio album um i really liked their first record sweet sexy savage but for some reason i haven't listened to them really mm-hmm. much since but it's it's very chill r&b soulful and again another poppy record that i've quite liked to listen to in the background of stuff and will probably be like a kind of an R&B soul record I really enjoy this year up until fingers crossed Scissor releases a new record. I'm desperate Scissor. Just desperate. Um, and the other one I had to mention to you is Alexis on Fire. <laughs> Have you listened to this? Do you know I actually haven't which <sighs> April considering I think I will publicly admit to you is that I spend a lot of time lurking Alexis on Fire various members on Instagram <laughs> for no fine. reason. That's fine. Um, but yeah, so I knew they had a new record, but I've not listened. So obviously everyone we've ever known, except Wes, who was obsessed with Alexis on Fire at some point in their lives. I When they did those reunion shows a few years ago, like pre-pandemic, it was like the greatest fucking thing. They yeah. so, they're just, I'd seen them only at festivals prior to that, mm-hmm. and it was like they were good. But when I saw did them Did you see them at the LCR? No, I didn't. Oh, they're so good live. What is That's that? a very niche reference um, to people in Norwich. But yeah, I mean, I was absolutely loved them, <laughs> loved them um, so at uni as well. I was fully obsessed with them. This is their first record in 13 years. And Isn't I was weird? like, I'm not going to listen to it. And like, I do occasionally listen to Alexis records. But I was like, oh, I'm so past this, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's really good. I listen to the Alexis back catalogue so, so often. It's really good. I was like, damn, this is just... They're great really good why lie uh oh god sickening so um who's your favorite (laughs) um it's george of course it's george i'm not going into the pros and cons of alexis (laughs) on fire i can't do it again you can ask me off record i have good and bad feelings um i'm so emotionally confused by them but it's just a very good record um i also did yeah that kendrick lamar record is quite good surprisingly that florence the machine record is good too that would have if i i didn't do a notables because i could have been here for hours but i've listened to that florence record a lot considering prior to this i'm not really fussed by florence wasn't that bothered at all and i had a a really nice time listening to that quite a lot yeah um and i also put cats about psychic jailbreak so good times rips great ripper uh so that's that 
so that's our little um, 2022 so far retrospective. Can I just show you something that I'd forgotten that I meant to show you oh, yes. when I was monologuing? Yeah. My phone background at the moment is a picture of Kami from the bear, but he's got the rat from Ratatouille. Ah! <laughs> a little rat on his head. He's I got love the it. the Ratatouille rat. Remy. Is his name Remy? Who knows? You can put that on the little um, the little first picture. Shall I? Yeah, can one I of the squares can okay, be that I'm ratatouille gonna picture. You're going to get to see this amazing ratatouille picture, which is currently bringing me joy every time I put my phone up. Anyway. Um, what was the other thing that you were going to tell me on the podcast? But Oh, it was just that I'm laying claim to Jeremy Allen White and I'm already a bit stressed about the prospect of everyone watching the bear and suddenly getting really on board with it, and then I have to be like, but I liked it first, like a petty baby. What, like me and Austin Butt? Yeah, basically. <laughs> I was just thinking about like, oh, there's this thing that I've made my personality for the last fortnight, <laughs> and everyone's going to enjoy it soon. No, and it's going to be everyone else's personality. <laughs> and I'll be glad, because it means that everyone can just in- engage in conversation with me, but also I'll be a bit sad. Won't be mine anymore. It's difficult being a fan, isn't it? Yeah, but it's nice to hyperfixate in a normal way. Um, you can find us online. We're Twitter at the Thirst and Instagram at the Thirst Pod, or you can drop us an email if you like on the Thirst Pod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of any of the things that we've covered today. If you've got any faves from 2022 that we've missed off, then feel free to let us know via our various social channels. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen, and give us a nice review because it helps people to find us with ease. We can also check out the blog as well, the Thirst pod.wordpress.com and check out the show notes on the episode as well farewell bye